Hello and welcome to the Queen's Reading Room podcast, the place where we invite lovers of literature to share with us some of the bookish treasures from their own reading rooms. Coming up in this brand new series, we'll hear from actress Dame Joanna Lumley, author and comedian David Baddiel, novelists Elif Shafak, Anne Patchett and Bonnie Garmus, as well as children's writers Joseph Coilo and Frank Cottrell-Boyce. Plus, each week we'll hear from Her Majesty the Queen herself. I'm Vicky Perrin, Chief Executive of the Queen's Reading Room. We're kicking off our brand new podcast with a gem from crime fiction and are coming face to face with the inventor of Inspector Rebus. In 2005, this author's books accounted for a whopping 10% of all crime fiction sold, and he even manages to appear as a character in Alexander McCall Smith's novel, 44 Scotland Street. Today, we're stepping into the reading room of... Hello, I'm Ian Rankin, Sir Ian Rankin, excuse me. ...to explore the books he simply couldn't live without. I've always been a collector of books. I don't mean that in a kind of serious way, buying signed first editions, although I do have a few of those. But from a very young age... We didn't have a bookshop in my village where I grew up, Carton Den and Fife, a working class mining community. But we did have a very good Carnegie library and I would haunt that place and take out as many books as they would allow. And it came to the point where I would start buying paperbacks, um, usually film or TV tie-in books, things to do with a Sweeney or something like that, um, or films that I wasn't old enough to go and see at the cinema. They wouldn't allow me in, but I could always get the books and read those. Nobody seemed to stop me. So literature from the get-go to me was very exciting. It was stuff I wasn't supposed to have access to. And that continues. So I've got books going back in my office here. I've got books going back to my school days. I've got I shouldn't tell you this, but I've got copies of books that I stole from school. So I've got a copy of Catch-22, which I I enjoyed that book so much that I didn't hand it back into school at the end of term. I've got a copy of A Clockwork Orange by Anthony Burgess, which a friend lent to me in the school playground. It was his big brother's and he never got it back. I've got two places where I tend to read. There is my home, which is a flat in central Edinburgh, which I share with my wife. And we have got some lovely designer-made bookcases where we have all our books, mostly hardbacks, mostly fiction. Um, But then there's also my office, which is a, a, a couple of apartment blocks further away. And I've got lots of IKEA bookcases, the infamous Billy bookcase. I've got a whole room of Billy bookcases, which are full of my books, books of mine in translation, but also books that I've been reading and enjoying. And I just put the latest book on the shelf, and it was Tackle by Jilly Cooper, um, her new hardcover. My parents weren't great readers. Um, I remember them usually buying a book to take on holiday with them. Uh, For my dad, it was usually a thriller or some autobiography of a sports person. My mum, I think it was probably romances if she read anything. They read newspapers and they read magazines, but there weren't that many books in the house. I did get stories read to me as a kid. I remember getting Enid Blyton read to me as a, a child. But I was actually in probably in my early 20s before my girlfriend at the time, who is still my girlfriend and she's my wife, 
would introduce me to things like Wind in the Willows or um, Winnie the Pooh or indeed the Moomins. She she got me um, hooked on the Moomins. These were things that she had read as a... She grew up with two English lecturers, professors as her parents, so she was much better read than I was. But yeah, I was just into stories. I just love stories. I had a, an obsession with comics. I would read as many comics as I could get my hands on. And although we didn't have a bookshop in the village of Carden Den, we did have a, a newsagent. And in the newsagents, they had comics. So the Beano, the Dandy, Superman and Batman, all of those, I, would, I was getting eight or nine or ten comics a week. And I had an uncle in a neighbouring um, town called Loch Gelly, and he worked for the local newspaper. And he said to my parents, it doesn't matter what Ian's reading as long as he's reading. And those comics, which I was allowed to read, became my gateway drug, as it were, um, to novels. So without those kind of steps of the ladder, uh, I wouldn't have ended up at university studying English literature, meeting my to-be wife and starting to write the Rebus novels. The first book I bought with my own money might well have been an Alistair MacLean novel. He was a Scots-born thriller writer, huge in the 60s. Everything he did was turned into a Hollywood movie, or so it seemed. And I think I bought Where Eagles Dare. I'm pretty sure it was the film tie-in, so I had a picture of Richard Burton and Clint Eastwood on the cover. I think I'd maybe seen the film and had enjoyed it so much that I then wanted to read the book because I knew there would be more in the book, more scenes, more action, more dialogue than was in the film. So for a while, it was something my dad and I shared was a, a love of action adventure stories. And Alistair MacLean was certainly among the first. I always feel slightly guilty, and I know I shouldn't when I reread a book because I know there are so many unread books out there. And for every read book I reread, there's an unread book that I may never get round to because life is only so long. And I've probably got more unread books sitting in my home and my office than I'll ever get round to if I lived another 20 years. But there are books I just love so much, comfort books that I do keep going back to. Muriel Spark, the subject of my doctoral thesis. I'll go back and read... Miss Jean Brodie every few years. And as I get older, I get something out of it that I didn't get out of it before. It's a TARDIS of a book. It's it's short. It's only 120 pages, but it seems to contain multitudes. It's much bigger on the inside than it is on the outside. So that's a book that I would happily reread today or tomorrow. Every few years, I also set myself the job of rereading A Dance to the Music of Time by Anthony Paul. 12 novel sequence. When I was a student, uh, a fellow student bought me the first three volumes as a birthday present. And at first I couldn't get on with it. It was a world that meant nothing to me, a world of sort of privileged upper-class Englishness pre-World War II, between the wars. Um, but something got me. I think it was the style, it was the elegance of the writing, and then, of course, the characters eventually got under my skin and I wanted to know more about them. So I read the whole sequence of 12 books and I've gone back to it several times since. My wife and I, when we got married, ended up living in France and we were snowbound the first Christmas we were there, first winter we were snowbound in an old farmhouse that we lived in in the middle of nowhere. And I'd read pretty much all the books in the house apart from my wife's Julie Cooper collection. 
And the book that really got me of Julie Cooper's was um, was Rivals, which is about a TV franchise, the, the rival bidding groups for a TV franchise. I just thought it was fantastic. Escape is fun. And that's another book that if I'm feeling a little bit low, I know that I can go back and read that book and it will cheer me right up. I've got books that mean various things to me. A huge influence on my early writing career was a Scottish novelist called William McIlvanny. And I met him at the Edinburgh Book Festival. I basically stalked him at the Edinburgh Book Festival around about 1985 and gripping one of his paperbacks in my hand. And I said, oh, Mr. McIlvanny, I'm a huge fan of your Glasgow detective novels featuring a detective called Laidlaw. And I'm trying to write the Edinburgh equivalent just now. And so he inscribed the paperback to me, good luck with the Edinburgh Laidlaw. And of course, that book that I was writing turned into the first Inspector Rebus novel. So that meant a lot to me um, that I'd managed to meet one of my heroes and he was charming and positive about the fact that maybe I could give this a go and succeed. I then met him many years later. I was interviewing him and, uh, you know, he wrote, he, I told him that story, reminded him of that story. And he then signed another book to me, um, The Edinburgh Laidlaw, Done Good. And I thought that was very pleasing. I also once managed to meet Muriel Spark, and I got her to sign my first edition of The Prime of Miss Jean Brodie. That was a very special moment. And there was a photographer there who managed to capture it, and I have that framed photograph on my office wall. Um, same goes for meeting Keith Richards. Um, he was signing his autobiography, and I got a photograph of him signing it to me. There's lots. There's lots of books going back. You know, the books that I kept from school days, Catch-22, um, A Clockwork Orange, the, the books that were given to me as birthday presents, the Dance the Music of Time, which stayed with me, are going to stay with me as long as I live. Um, every book means something. And... If you're an author, every book you read gives you something. There's something you will take from that. You may not realize it at the time. It could be something to do with the author's style. It could be a character. It could be the structure of the book. There's something you will take away from that that buries itself in your subconscious that will become useful to you at some point in your writing career. Muriel Spark wrote a novel called Loitering with Intent, which is about a young wannabe writer. And um, in that book, she says that that's what writers do. They loiter with intent. They just hang around waiting for the stories to come to them. I remember intently the first time I didn't finish a book. I was a student at the University of Edinburgh. I was sitting in my digs. I had been told, I was studying American literature, and although Norman Mailer was not part of our American literature course, I was told that he was a writer who, who I might find interesting. And I bought his latest paperback, which was called Ancient Evenings. It was about 800 pages long, and it was about the pharaohs of ancient Egypt. I think I got about 500 pages in, and I just thought, this is rubbish. And I remember just closing the book and feeling a little bit guilty that I wasn't going to finish this book. But there are so many other books out there clamoring for your attention that you might enjoy. If it's a book you're, as I get older, I certainly realize this. If you're not enjoying a book, it doesn't mean to say it's a bad book. It's just not a book for you. It's not to your taste. Discard it. Go off and read something else. Um, if if the book means something to you, then it, it will refuse to leave your, your head. 
And at some point, you might find yourself going back to it and finishing it. But no, there are so many books out there that you might get great pleasure from and learn from that you probably shouldn't continue reading a book if you're not enjoying it. These days, I get sent a lot of books by authors who are at the beginning of their careers. Their publishers are looking for a few words of praise that they can maybe put on the cover when it's published. I do try and read as many of those as I possibly can, but I get sent, I probably get sent 10 or 12 a week. And I probably read 50 books a year, probably a, a book a week I, I actually read. So the chances of me actually getting around to reading these books are fairly slim. But, but you know, it happens and it's always a pleasure when I come across a new writer at the beginning of their career and they're writing the terrific, they're writing terrific books. And that's a thrill. And I do try and help them wherever I can. I've never struggled to read. I struggle for time. Often I'm just so busy that I don't get time to read, which is why I like going on book tours. On book tours, you spend most of your time actually on an airplane or a train or sitting in a hotel room waiting for something to happen. And that gives you plenty of time to read. So a nice long plane journey is very good for reading. I read last thing at night, but Often I find these days after 10 or 20 minutes, my eyes are going together. That's no reflection on the books. That's me. I try and fit some time into each day when I can just sit and, and read feet up on the sofa with a good book and some music playing in the background. Downtime, as we would call it these days. But yeah, finding time to read can be difficult. Um, I think we all find that these days that, you know, social media takes such big chunks out of people's lives now that the time when they used to read is no longer available to them, the time when they used to read books. And you find if you're on a train now, it used to be everybody was reading a book. Everybody was reading the latest Ruth Rendell or P.D. James. And now you look around and people are playing games on their phones or they're watching Netflix or they're watching a film on their phone. They may be reading on their phone or on their iPod or their Kindle or whatever. They're not reading as many newspapers as they used to. I mean, book sales are doing okay. Don't get me wrong. As far as I can make out from the trade, um, book sales are doing well, but the market is changing. More people are listening to books, using audiobooks. People are reading online um, rather than reading physical books. So the market is definitely changing, which I find really interesting. And the latest thing I've just done, which is for Amazon, is a kind of long, short story called The Rise, which is specifically meant to be consumed in one sitting. It's not in print at the moment. It's only available as an ebook or as an audio download. But it's meant to be consumed when you're maybe commuting, when you're driving in the car, you can put it on your on the radio. Maybe when you're sitting in a train or something, you can be listening to it or reading it. And it it does interest me that short stories, for example, are not as well read uh, as they, they could be because we keep being, being told that people have got short attention spans. Well, the short story is perfect for anybody with a short attention span. Or if you've got a short commute, you can read the whole short story in, in, in one sitting while you're on your morning commute or your afternoon commute. Uh, it just it kind of puzzles me that short stories haven't been pitched at the reading public as the can in, as the wave of the future. But that might be that might be coming because young people with young people's tastes who are now all on TikTok, uh, maybe they will will change the, the the kinds of things that are being read. And it could be that the short story is due a revival.
the amount of research I do varies from book to book. Sometimes, I mean, mostly it's imagination and inspiration. But I, because I do write about professional people doing a real job, I try and get the details right. But often that's a case of actually speaking to them, contacting them, rather than actually reading books around the subject. Just recently, I'm, I'm about to embark on a project which involves a prison, and I was able to talk to someone who knew someone who knew someone who knew someone at Edinburgh Prison and was able to get a visit there. I could I got more from that than I would ever get from reading a history of prisons or even contemporary books written by ex-prison officers or people who've served time. Um, actually experiencing experiencing the noises, the sights, the smells, these are all things that are going to be useful to me when I write my story in a way that reading something on a page wouldn't be. Having said that, I do, uh, during the course of any year, uh, any interesting articles in newspapers or magazines, I will clip them, I'll cut them out, and I'll put them in a big folder. And when it comes time to write, start thinking of writing a book, I get the folder out and go through it to see if there's anything in there that's useful. So oftentimes, long magazine articles or newspaper um, articles, um, interviews with people can be really useful to me, can be really helpful. And I will read a few books. I remember when a previous Rebus novel, A Song for the Dark Times, involved internment camps in World War II, camps where we put prisoners of war, but also camps where we put people we thought might be spying or whatever, or we just didn't trust because they came from a different background. They were Italian or they were Chinese or Japanese. So they ended up in internment camps. And I did read, um, I went to the National Library of Scotland and sourced various books on um, the history of internment camps. And those became very useful to me for background. Yeah, my next physical book uh, launch is going to be a game called Malice, which is actually a script of a play which was produced early in uh, 2023. Um and it's a Rebus story. It's basically my take on um, An Inspector Calls, that wonderful um, play An Inspector Calls. And it's a dinner party uh, in a, a rather refined part of Edinburgh. Rebus, my retired detective, is there as a plus one of a lawyer. There are six people around the table. The hostess has devised a murder mystery, a kind of Cluedo-style murder mystery for them to solve after dinner. Um, and while they're all getting dug into that, a real murder occurs. And uh, our, our retired detective has the chance to solve it before the actual police investigators and the crime scene team arrive. A, a lot of fun to write. Um, so it's a script of that. And I'm just hoping it might act as a little stocking filler for people who are aching for the next Rebus novel, full-length novel. But this year has been my sabbatical year. My wife told me, 2023, Ian, has to be your sabbatical year. Um, otherwise, we're getting divorced because she thinks I've been working far too hard and she's not being seen enough of me. So no new projects uh, during 2023 and no book tours or um, festival appearances. Just lots of holidays, which has been absolutely fantastic. But I will be sitting down fairly soon to start the next Rebus novel because the previous novel left readers on absolute tenterhooks and they're slightly annoyed with me that I've taken a year off.
Reading was important to me when I was very young because it helped fire up your imagination. It took you to strange new worlds and you could inhabit all these extraordinary um, adventures. You could have adventures inside your head. I grew up in a fairly fairly mundane um, working class village, but, but reading stories took me all around the world and further, took me across history, took me across the universe. So that was fantastic when I was young. I think reading can also be therapeutic. It can be a way of dealing with anxieties or or come and maybe start to come to some answers about the state of the world. I mean, that's why I chose crime fiction to write is because the crime novel deals with the mess that we are in as a species and maybe says, why are we in this mess and how can we get out of it? Um, I think reading just opens you up to empathy. It takes you into different lives. It takes you into different people's heads. And it allows you a dramatically wider experience of humanity than would be the case if you didn't read. So what I would say to anybody out there is read. It's part of what makes us human. It's part of what makes us civilized. It's part of what makes us a, a working, viable society. Her Majesty the Queen is a lifelong fan of crime fiction, and I'm guessing that if you're listening to this episode with the creator of Inspector Rebus, Sir Ian Rankin, that you might just be too. Another crime writer Her Majesty particularly admires is author of the Dead series, Peter James. In fact, in 2021, Her Majesty popped down to the ITV set to take a sneak peek behind the scenes of the adaptation, Grace. While there, she had a chat with Peter about how he continues to come up with new and gripping plots. Let's take a listen. How? Because, I mean, you literally bring out one a year, don't you? Which is, must be very hard. How on earth do you think of new plots and new crimes? The one I wrote on internet dating, Dead at First Sight, that came directly um, from the request by Sussex Police. Mm. They approached me, um, a senior with a character superintendent, and he said that people in Sussex had been fleeced out of five million pounds in the last three years by internet fraudsters. Yeah. Would I consider writing a Roy Grace thriller yeah. set in that background? And if I did, they would give me as much research help as they could. They would show me the files, obviously no names, yes. but they showed yeah. me them out. And there's one lady in Sussex, um, four million pounds. Four million? Um, yeah. Uh, and there was several at 400,000, 200,000. Of course, it wouldn't be the Queen's reading room unless we delved into some of Her Majesty's bookshelves. In each episode of this podcast, we're going to put a question to the Queen about her own reading. This time, we asked, which books did Your Majesty most enjoy reading to your grandchildren? And did you do different voices for different characters? I think the one I enjoyed reading more than anything else was Harry Potter. All the stories, and I can't mimic voices for love or money. I'm completely hopeless at it. I was a really bad actor at school, and um, I've never been able to master the art of mimicry. But um, my husband, he does it really. He can do all the voices. Sadly, that is just about all we have time for. But just before we go, let's hear a favourite line of literature from one of our guardians of this nation's reading rooms, Senior Library Assistant Emma from Chichester Library. 
When a day that you happen to know is Wednesday starts off by sounding like Sunday, there is something seriously wrong somewhere. From Day of the Triffids by John Wyndham. We hope you enjoyed this very first episode of the Queen's Reading Room podcast. You can join Her Majesty's Book Club on Instagram at the Queen's Reading Room or check out our website, thequeensreadingroom.co.uk for more fabulous literary treasures. Next time, we pop round to Dame Joanna Lumley's house for a cup of tea and a look through her books. See you then.